This is the American Cinematographer Podcast. I'm Ian Marks, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Emmy-nominated cinematographer Jody Lee Leips, ASC, about his work on director Savannah Leaf's independent feature, Earth Mama. In the film, Oakland rapper Tia No More plays Gia, a young, pregnant, single mother of two living in the Bay Area and struggling with the decision to keep her unborn child or give it up for adoption. It's a touching portrait of motherhood with strong performances from its cast, directed with confidence and photographed with a sure eye on 16mm film. The format question, it's usually portrayed as a financial issue when they're saying it's not possible. But I think it's a way more complicated issue. It's fear. And that's a really hard thing to negotiate. You can find the edited text version of this conversation, along with additional information about the film on the ASC website at theasc.com. But first, this episode of the American Cinematographer podcast is sponsored by the ASC Masterclass. The American Society of Cinematographers Masterclass program is designed for cinematographers with an intermediate to advanced skill set. Prominent society members and ASC associates serve as instructors, offering invaluable insights on the creative and technical aspects of the cinematographer's profession, as well as business-related topics. Enrolling in the ASC Masterclass enables you to hone your craft while making valuable professional connections that can jumpstart your career. The five-day in-person seminar is taught in Los Angeles with upcoming sessions taking place September 18th to the 22nd, and November 13th to the 17th with a special focus on shooting film. A two-day online session will take place October 14th and 15th. Enrollment in each ASC Masterclass is limited to 30 participants. Applicants must submit a current resume in order to be considered, and all instructors are subject to availability. For more information, go to theasc.com. And now, it's time for the interview. So, Jody, how did you and Savannah first cross paths? I first heard about Savannah, I think, in, uh, must have been early 2020. Um, I was in South Africa doing a commercial, and I heard about this job, and I, I looked her up, and I was just immediately really um, taken by her work, and I knew that I wanted to meet her. And, and then the pandemic happened, and we ended up just sort of meeting up for coffee in the the middle of all that when people really were uh, staying home. You know, we we met outside at a coffee place and got along really well. And then we did a Biden Harris campaign commercial together, and it was really it was a great experience. And then we did an, another commercial together, and then yeah, soon after that, Savannah started talking about how she had a movie that she was trying to make. And I, as I've said before, it's kind of like you know many commercial directors kind of have a, a movie in their back pocket and you know it's so hard to get a movie made that a lot of those movies never see the light of day so I didn't really take it too seriously at first but then you know my agent called me and said that the script had been shared and I read it and I was really really impressed with what I read it just did not seem like a first-time screenwriter that did not have that feeling to it at all what about it didn't feel like a first-timer screenplay I don't know. It just, it just felt really emotionally mature. It felt like it was about a world, like a really specific world that I hadn't seen on screen before in that it was sort of like this very specific community in the Bay area. And it also clearly had a lot of either what I, you know, didn't know at the time was either like firsthand knowledge of 
this world of child protective services and, you know, what happens to children in those situations and what happens to the parents. Um, it was either firsthand knowledge or it was like very, very researched um, and showing that world in a way I had never seen before. That excited me a lot. But then I just, it sort of came with assumptions that that I made that were totally wrong, which were not exciting to me, which is that, you know, well, this is such a sort of like a kind of like gritty, real story that it's going to have that kind of visual sensibility to it too. And, you know, Savannah's going to probably want to shoot it all handheld and it's going to have this kind of like, almost like a Dardan Brothers kind of look to it, which I love when the Dardan Brothers do it, but I just wasn't really excited about doing that for this movie. Um, and when I talked to Savannah <clears throat> about it, she just immediately told me um, without being prompted that that was not at all what she was going to do. What was her intent? You know, it, it felt like she wanted to create this kind of interesting mixture of like very formal, simple, honest coverage, really like specific lens choices and very like pared down shots and movement. Um, but also like a very almost like a drugstore development kind of treatment of the grade of the movie, like shooting on film and kind of a kind of lighting style that was very amateurish is the wrong word, but just very like not shaped, not controlled, just sort of very real and very simple. So it was kind of like the the format 16 and the lighting style were really kind of like rough and just like gritty, but then like the coverage, the lens choices, um, the camera movement were really, really strong and really, really kind of like masterful and really um, decided and formal. And so like that, that mixture of those two things together was really interesting to me. What were some of your inspirations as far as art or photography or other films go? I think the photography that influenced me the most was Savannah's photography. Mm -hmm. I think Michael Haneke was a big, a big one, Code Unknown, that long lateral tracking shot at the beginning of Code Unknown was a, was a big reference for Savannah and helped lead to the big sideshow scene, which is almost kind of like the pre-climax of, of the movie. But also, I don't know, I mean, I think a lot of the references were, I mean, I'm, I really like, am boring in that I, I use like pretty much only film references uh, and not photography so much. So then there was just a lot of narrative influences that we took from and like Lady Bird, Lady Bird, I feel like in some ways is, is like the closest movie to this film narratively. And it really kind of explores the complexity of a parent who you know, really loves their children, really wants to have children, but maybe like isn't making the best choices at all times and like what what that can mean and sort of creating this complex character who's not right and not wrong, but kind of somewhere in the middle and relatable for that reason. How does your work as the cinematographer enhance that relatability? Yeah, um, well, I think... I mean, the thing that was really special about the time I had with Savannah was just how much of it was about story and just going over the words. And so we we just spent a lot of time, you know, talking about every single scene, like many times over. 
and talking about like what was essential about it and what wasn't. And that sort of almost being, I think more than with any other director I've ever worked with, like part of the writing process for Savannah and that like when we actually talked about like, okay, this is what's on the page. This is how we would sort of photograph that. And then that leading to her seeing changes that she wanted to make in the script. Um, because all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is too complex or like, there's too many ideas going on here. So there's too many shots or there's too many things that we need to see. And that leading to like simplifying and simplifying and whittling down of the story so that every scene really had like a very clear role in the story overall. To me, that was probably my biggest, um, kind of role on, on the film, was being like someone to talk about like what Savannah wanted each scene to mean with. And then like the way that it's shot almost becomes like easy. It almost becomes like obvious. And like what you need to see and what you don't need to see becomes obvious if you're both really on the same page about what it is you're trying to tell um, in a scene. So I think, you know, Savannah is just, is really like a visual master i think and and we really think about things visually um in the same way a lot of the time and so that part was kind of easy it's like understanding the story like me like being able to internalize like what she is trying to say was was kind of the hardest part of it like the part that that took the most work for for both of us i think and then it's like once you know there's a space and a room to shot list in together to look at together that was kind of like the easy part. I read in your Filmmaker Magazine interview that you and Savannah shot listed almost the whole film prior to shooting. Was that before or after you secured your locations? It was, you know, like always, it's kind of like a back and forth. Some scenes, it was about us like making, you know, for for example, the scene when she first visits her children uh, and that sort of this she has like an hour visitation of them every week mm-hmm. in the first scene where she visits with them. There's like a long wonder. And that came out of Savannah. I think, I don't know if she was imagining this really specific room because it was a part of the documentary she made that was kind of like the lead up to this film. Or mm-hmm. if it was because in her research, there had been a lot of elements that really like stuck in her mind that she needed to have like be a part of this story. But she had this really specific idea, like the windows are here and the doors are here and the parking lot is here and all this kind of stuff. And so I drew that room with her to like make sure that we were on the same page about it. And then we looked for it for a really long time. And then we finally found the room with almost the exact layout and relationship to the parking lot that she wanted. So because we were just hoping to get that room, I could kind of see the space in my mind and we we created like a, a oneer that would work for that space. And so that transferred really well to that space. But then in other situations, it's like, you know, the way we wanted it to be, we didn't find that exact location. So then it's like, you find the real location and you have to augment it, adjust it, change the blocking. But yeah, we really did go through the script like in extreme detail many times over. And so we did have a pretty thorough shot list for most, I'd say, I don't know, 90, 95% of the scenes. The shot you mentioned with Gia and her two children who are in protective custody, I thought was really clever in the way that it was photographed. 
because of the way that the camera tracks from person to person using depth of field to isolate characters and, and blocking to create new compositions. How do you build a shot like that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit of just a feeling, I guess. Like, this feels like this could be the right thing, I think, initially. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I think part of it is, like, creating that sensation that there's, like, this kind of observer looming in the background that prevents it from being just a interaction between you and your children or between you and your parent that there's this this kind of clock and there's like this interruption and this kind of unwelcome disturbance that's just like over your shoulder and in and out of the room and you can like feel it there even if you're not looking at it i think for me that was a big part of it and then it's also you know i think thematically for savannah there's like this through line of like you know, nature and how it is related to this person's world or absent from this person's world and sort of like the parking lots and like the environment that they're in versus nature um, and the and the kind of like magical realism of like nature kind of coming into this world. And so there's also just this important relationship between the room and then the, you know, the parking lot and then nature outside of the room and the the tree outside of the room and sort of how you feel that more or less um, as the scene progresses. And also just, you know, like that ultimately she's going to watch her children drive away with, you know, basically with a stranger and be in this room and, you know, there's nothing, she's trapped in this room, there's nothing she can do about it. So it's like all, all of those things together, I think, end up forming this, shot and then you know then like the performances on the day and like what you think is going to happen versus what's really happening and you adjust it and you simplify it and um usually like the simpler the better how essential is color to the film's storytelling because i was struck by the use of certain motifs in in the lighting and production design and costumes like soft pastels for motherhood or childhood and contrasting colors for the world around Gia, which itself is contrasted with the world of nature or the world of the adoptive parents, which are rendered in warmer earth tones. I'm really bad at paying attention to that. <laughs> it's like one of these things I feel really like I'm just totally inadequate at like controlling I, almost the level where it's like, I don't even want to know what the designer and the director are planning for that stuff. And it's just like, if it's there, it's there. But I think color wise, I mean, there's the grade obviously, which is very, you know, very low contrast and uh, a little bit desaturated and sort of mutes colors and makes them more pastel the way you're talking about. And then there's also, you know, Savannah came into this I hope I'm not kind of speaking out of turn, but kind of frustrated by the way that black skin is often kind of like graded or represented in film. To her, I think ultimately, you know, the the simple way of expressing what she wanted is like, is warmth. And then like, what does that do to everything else? Like what's the byproduct of that? And how does that affect the color? I think that's part of what you're seeing, like with the earth tones and stuff in certain scenes. I think Juliana, the production designer, and Savannah probably would be able to answer that question more because I kind of like totally ignore that, even though I shouldn't. Maybe we should unpack that a little bit, you know, because everyone sees the world in a different way. When you look through the camera, there's something in your taste and experience that tells you that the colors and the framing and the focus are correct. 
you might not have chosen them yourself or, or even thought very deeply about it, but you know what works when you see it. I think sometimes people think of filmmaking or I guess any kind of visual art form or whatever, that it's like the things that you're choosing to do, um, like the things that you're like, you see, and so you're like manipulating them or you're, you're controlling them. But sometimes it's kind of the opposite. Sometimes I feel like there's things that I don't notice that are incredibly obvious and at the forefront to most other people. And so there's like a uniqueness that like comes out of the decision making because of like a lack of awareness about something. But it's it's funny because, you know, on the project I'm working with right now, the the director and the production designer are really, really, really conscious of color in a way I've never experienced before like to a level i've never experienced before and um i really do see it and i really do feel it for the first time but you must have had conversations before with directors or production designers or or people in the art department about certain uh, colors or textures that might work best for the format that you're using or to tell the story in a certain way yeah that that i i definitely yeah as opposed to like a motif yes yeah I noticed a lot of tight framing and shots on the long end of the lens. And it struck me that maybe this is like partially an aesthetic choice, but it's also perhaps a functional choice because this is a low budget film set in the 2000s. It's a period piece and you might want to use that reduced depth of field to blow out the background, you know, and hide uh, more contemporary architecture or cars or things like that. But on the flip side of that, there's also that first driving shot with Gia and her friend that's filmed all in extreme close-ups, very tight, which really works well for that scene as far as the storytelling goes. Am I on the right track here? Uh, you know, it wasn't a conscious thing in that particular scene you were talking about. Like, it just felt like those were the right shots. But, you know, it also, it, it is a period piece. I, th- I think it's actually the early 2000s, maybe 2006. But I think... Yeah, you know, so we are hiding the environment sometimes. We are hiding that, like, you know, it's a very small film. And we are hiding the fact that we can't control, like, what cars are parked on the street and they're not the correct year. Or that Savannah is super conscious of, like, you know, she really knows the Bay Area. Well, this isn't the Bay Area then. This, You know, this is the Bay Area now. Um, so we can't really, like, see that. So there's a little bit of that. But also I think, you know, it's something I've noticed on on a few projects that I've done over the past several years. It's just like directors kind of falling in love with like the 24 to 290 Optimo and just like long slow zoom-ins or zoom-outs um, over the course of scenes and that being a way of kind of like keeping fewer setups but having kind of a shot like develop throughout a scene. Um, like giving it some like a static shot, but it's moving because it's zooming. Um, and so like giving it some life and some change over the course of a scene. So, you know, it's like a lot of the time, you know, you're doing these really long scenes and you're zooming and then you like get to the end and then you're just at the end. So you're probably seeing some of that, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really like a conscious choice. I mean, I, I think I, I generally avoid going super wide and obviously, like, you know, when you're using 35 millimeter 
lenses on 16 millimeter, it's hard to go super wide. It's hard to get to get there, just with the translation between 35 and 16. But I often feel like distracted by being wide more so than distracted by being long, which is a personal thing that I have. And so, yeah, so I think that like pushes me into like, I'm not as a viewer, like I'm not thinking about the lens if it's not wide. That's usually my goal is to like not be distracting. When was the decision made to shoot on 16 millimeter film and whose decision was that? It was pretty early on. I think when Savannah first came to me, she was thinking about 35. And I started asking her about 16. She was kind of hesitant, I think, because there's a bunch of movies that have been shot on 16 recently, like sort of low-budget indies. And she was just hesitant because of that. But eventually, we we started to feel like it was the right choice. We, you know, we tested it. We looked at it big. We looked at it, you know, in a theater together. And it just felt right. And it felt like we were going to be able to have a lot more freedom financially working that way, too. And, you know, film stock would be less of an issue and all, all of those things. So, yeah, I don't know. For me, it just it just started to feel right. Like it could help like the period, maybe. It could help just give it like an immediate aesthetic more so. Uh, the, the size, you know, of the equipment, which we wanted to be pretty invisible, was helpful as opposed to 35 in a, a film with like all non-actors, um, except for like one or two um, sort of professional actors. And yeah, so we went that way. And then, you know, I, I feel for me, Master Primes is like a very, it was a very kind of like ease of use kind of decision where I had spent the last couple of projects before this, the first two episodes of Dead Ringers with Sean Durkin and then um, a movie called The Good Nurse with Tobias Lindholm. Like I had spent a lot of prep testing lenses and getting really like particular about that. And I just didn't want that to be a part of this process. I just didn't want to waste time on like the technical things. And it's like, I know Master Primes, I've shot commercials on them before, I've shot movies on them before, I've shot TV shows on them before. There's a lot of focal lengths in the range, which is really important to me. Like sometimes the diff- like a three millimeter difference between lenses can be a really important thing to me. And so having like a lot of options is great. And also, you know, they come very, very wide too. And so with the translation to 16, a very wide 35 millimeter lens is not that wide on 16. And it's hard to get wide, a wide enough 35 millimeter set to have a wide lens on 16. So that was an added benefit too. And it was just like a known quantity. So it was just very practical. And I didn't feel like it. we needed to have like a heavy handed lens um, that the 16 was going to be enough kind of like visual voice for the movie and that we didn't need to have really kind of like fucked up lenses to add to that. You also had the Ingenue Optimo 24 to 290. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah. And on an earlier thing you said about focus you know um callie riley was the first ac on this film and she is just one of the most incredible focus pillars in the world and so focus was not really an issue not something i was concerned about and you know she worked on i know this much is true which is just one of the hardest focus pulling jobs in the world um that we did together and so yeah this was kind of like a cakewalk for her so that wasn't really like a part of my consideration on this project just because she's she's so strong. I think I also read that you were 
shooting wide open uh, on the master primes. W- what is that, like a, a, a T1.3? Yeah, sometimes we would shoot to two eight, but yeah, there were there were times when we shot wide open and and uh, she pulled it off. You said that there was some hesitancy on on Savannah's behalf when it came to shooting on sixteen millimeter. Why was that? I think she was the thing I remember that was the most specific was she was worried about things falling apart when they get wider. Mm-hmm. You know, which is really it's a it's very like astute observation you know just that not everyone can see but i think most people can feel you know when you shoot 16 when you go wide it just there's just a lot less detail in it and that's right. when you see the format a lot more mm-hmm. um and so like you know she immediately started watching like import export the other ed lockman films with um oh, i can't believe i'm forgetting his name the austrian filmmaker Rick Seidel. Yes, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like there's that series of films he did and he immediately started watching those and she really liked that look visually and that started to make her more excited about it. I think it became like not a lesser format to her, but like a choice to her um, through watching his work. Why was it important to shoot on 16 millimeter film rather than shoot with a digital camera and apply a look in post? Maybe I'm just not a very good DP, but to me, it's like, it's way easier to get to something special. It like automatically snaps in to feeling right for most projects. I mean, obviously not all projects and all stories, but with a lot of stories like film, just it's like a shortcut to feeling right whether that's like helping with the feeling of it being period in this day and age or whether it's just a way of like separating the image from most of what's out there it's just a lot easier you know it's like when you're working on a project and you're deciding about format like if you decide to shoot film there there can be some fear of like okay here we go like all the issues that can come with this maybe like the lighting budget is higher producers or the studio or production company, whatever is kind of like not happy about this and going to be fighting you the whole way. There's going to be focus issues. There's going to be lab issues. There's going to be like maggots, flash, whatever it is, like all the things that can happen. And you have a feeling in your stomach about that alternately. And I think a much worse feeling is like, we have to shoot digitally because we're not allowed to shoot on film. And how are we going to make this have any kind of voice, it's much harder to distinguish it, to make it unique to that film, to make it feel special. And it's not like it's impossible. It's not like I feel like I haven't done it before. It's just a much harder process. It's like a shortcut shooting on film. And so, you know, the film, the project I'm doing right now, the director insisted on shooting film and that was it, period, no question. Like, she'll walk walk away if they're not going to do it. Same thing with Savannah. I know this much is true was a real fight to allow us to shoot on film. And ultimately they did, which was great. And I feel like it had a profound effect on how that story feels. So it's something that like I'm usually fighting for, but it, you know, it really has to come from the director and 
in this case, Savannah like really stood her ground and was like, I'm not, this isn't a discussion. It's like, this is happening or like the movie isn't happening. And I think that's really the only way you can do it because people are always going to try and talk you out of it. But she held her ground and I'm really happy that she did. From your perspective, has anything changed between 2010 and now when it comes to shooting film? Are today's producers more or less likely to push digital cameras as a cheap or efficient imaging solution? Uh, because you know the landscape has certainly changed as far as digital cameras are concerned. They've gotten better, but analog film is still around. And, and one might say it's, it's even in a better position than it was 13 <laughs> years ago. It's still very hard. I think the question is really, why is it hard? I think, you know, I don't want to sound like a disgruntled, crazy person, but I think what I've noticed since right after Tiny Furniture is that the format question is not, it's usually portrayed as a financial issue when they're saying it's not possible. But I think it's a a way more complicated issue than that. It's a very emotional issue. It's an issue of control. It's an issue of convenience. And I find that a lot of the time, it's a shifting argument. I can't tell you how many projects I've been on where there have been countless meetings about, well, we know you want to shoot on film, speaking to the director, the lead actor, me, whatever, is pushing for it. But like for X, Y, and Z reasons, we can't do that. Then we solve those reasons. And then it's like, well, yes, you solve those reasons. But really, there's also this other thing. It just starts to feel like it's not really about the money. It's not really about the reasons that you're giving. It's if there's a discomfort, there's like a we're out of practice. There's a it's another variable that we don't have to worry about. It's fear. And that's a really hard thing to negotiate. I worked on a, on a movie and on a studio movie where the director really wanted to shoot on film. I really wanted to shoot on film. It was per- a period film. And the studio said no, because it was too expensive. And for months in prep, we were sort of trying to argue that shooting on film was the right thing to do. And ultimately, one of the producers called me on the phone and said, hey, the studio said that we can't, it's too expensive. But what they're going to do is they're going to give us more money for the film if we don't shoot on film. So it's too expensive to shoot on film, but we're, they're going to give us more money than it costs to shoot on film to not shoot on film. This literally happened. It's like a perfect example of the kind of argument that happens where it's like you're boxing with a invisible opponent and it takes so much energy and so much time and the whole time you're saying to yourself why does this have to be this way like can't we just have a frank conversation about it like what's actually at, at, at stake here like what's actually the issue and it's you know it's it, it's taxing you know you're trying to like prep a movie which in itself is, is just an exhausting insurmountable process and then you have this whole other thing going on that takes so much energy and time and when it falls apart it's it's really hard because you're like well why, i just wasted all of prep doing this thing and it's not happening and i could have been just like working on the story but when it does happen it's it's great you know it's incredible and it's scary and it's good but like i can't tell you how many people call me or email me other dps like how did you get this or that company to 
let you guys shoot on film. Like ultimately it's, it's really not me. It's the director. The director is the person who makes this happen. And I don't, I wouldn't want it to be me. Like I wouldn't want to be taking up that much air in the room. It's like, if it's, it's something the director cares about and they really want to do, then they'll do it. And if they don't, then they won't. I'm just there to like support the director and to like help them get it done and help explain things, help kind of like clarify how we can make it work as much as possible. Could you say that you would have made the same creative choices on this film if you had shot it with a digital camera? Probably not. I mean, if I was shooting like Miami Vice or something, like, you know, I would want it to... I, which I, I love that movie. I think it's incredible. And mm-hmm. Like I, I would want it to look really, really, really contemporary. And I would want it to look like gritty digital, like that movie does. Like it looks like it was shot digitally, like on purpose. I think a lot of the time when someone is using digital, they don't want to embrace that this is like a very, very contemporary technology and like let it be that. So I think you're kind of trying to change it and to give it some voice usually. And so I think in this case, I I would be trying to do that. I don't know how, I never really had to think about how um, um, for this story. But in the past I have, I've tried to do that. Like, um, you know, the Mr. Rogers movie, you know, we ultimately decided to shoot like a very, very low resolution in combination with three tube video that was you know the 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 three tube video that they shot the actual shell on Mm -hmm. and so like our main format we kind of brought tried to bring closer to that three tube video as a way of sort of bridging the the divide between those two formats um and making them closer together and feel like more more akin to each other so yeah i think it's really specific to the story like the way that you um augment like what would otherwise be like an out-of-the-box look from a digital camera. Is there anything else about the making of this film that you would like our listeners to know? I don't know. I mean, I guess one thing I've noticed about it, you know, it, I was lucky enough to, to get to go to the premiere at Sundance earlier this year, and I just have never seen like such an emotional reaction from the audience before. And I, I'm getting like a lot of a really big response just from people I know and people I don't know already from this film in a way that I've never quite gotten before. And so I'm just really excited for more people to see it because I'm really proud of it and getting to work with Savannah and the story that she's telling and, um, and all the people who worked on it. So yeah, so I'm just really excited about it coming out. Jody, it was great talking to you again. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us about your great work on Earth Mama. And congratulations on your Emmy nomination for Dead Ringers. Um, thanks. Thanks for talking to me. Really appreciate it. That was cinematographer Jody Lee Leips, ASC, talking about the independent feature Earth Mama. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think in the comments section on the website or on Apple Podcasts, where you can also subscribe to the show. And remember, you can find the edited text version of this conversation, along with additional technical information on the film at theasc.com. You can also find articles on the latest productions, 
video discussions with leading cinematographers, our complete library of podcast interviews and archival stories, notes on new products and services, and the ASC store. Stay up to date with the latest content and exclusive behind-the-scenes photos and videos by following American Cinematographer on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Vimeo. This episode was mixed at Brickshop Audio in Brooklyn, New York. Thanks again for listening, and that's a wrap.